0: Welcome to Poolside Podcast. This is episode number 20 and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. I sat down today and chatted with Jenna Herbert, the owner and founder, co-founder of Make It Craft Sales. Um, they're celebrating their 10th year this year, which is super exciting. And she shares her journey of how she made it to year 10 of Make It and how her entrepreneurial spirit really started when she was super young and collecting golf balls off the golf course and reselling it to the golfers. That was the beginning and she didn't know it but she was destined to become an entrepreneur uh, many many years later. So we talk about how she grew the crafts show and how she made it into three different cities and how she keeps all of that organized. Um, We talk about having a belief system of what is possible to really make your dreams happen and to believe that you can reach whatever goals you're trying to reach. Um, She talks about when you should hire help and when you should give jobs that maybe are taking up some of your time and energy to other people and investing in those people and paying them the money to really benefit your business and she Talks about how you should think of your business as rocks and sand and having an ROI on the rocks and not getting caught up in all of the sand which we can all relate to with scrolling through Instagram or other useless things that come with your email inbox on a day to day as an entrepreneur. She also talks about the book that she wrote as well as Conscious Lab that she opened up in Vancouver. I'm super excited for you to listen to this episode. We probably could have talked for another three hours, but we kept it, we cut it off, we kept it to 45 minutes, and I think you will get a lot out of it, whether you're an entrepreneur, uh, a makey, which is an artist as they call it at Make It, or you're just trying to become more motivated in your side hustle or turn your passion into a business. So with that, let's get down to it with Jenna. Let's start if you just want to introduce yourself and tell us what you do.
1: Sure. My name is Jenna Herbert, and I am the founder of The Make It Show, which is a bi-annual craft fair that happens in Vancouver, Edmonton, and now Calgary. I also recently published my first book called Make It Happen. And it's a guidebook for creative entrepreneurs on how to take their, their big, Crazy, bold business ideas and uh, turn them into reality
0: cool. And before we get into all of that currently, what did you initially want to be when you grew up? What was your plan?
1: I wanted to be a performer, so growing up as a kid, I was into dance and theater, and I always thought I would end up in new york. Uh, my My dream was to be on Broadway, but I am a terrible singer. <laughs> I tried and I remember one time in drama class um I was in Fiddler on the Roof in high school and uh and I played the matchmaker Yenta and I had a small uh singing part and my drama t- teacher told me you know Jenna I think it's better if you just speak this part instead of sing it because my voice was that bad but yeah I- I've always um I've loved performing and I-, I just love the energy of bringing something to life
0: that's awesome I have the same thing I wish I could have saying and it, right? it never worked out so yeah. I just sing in the car now and just pretend that it worked out
1: <laughs> well I think with singing though it's a confidence thing because I, I feel like that drama teacher telling me that totally you know deflated my confidence um yeah so who knows maybe maybe it's still possible <laughs> <True>.
0: <laughs> what <I'm> saying. yeah <laughs> uh and so how did you take that passion um and then grow it into a business so did you go to school um, and when did your first entrepreneur type thing start?
1: Uh, well, it was interesting while well, writing the book, cause I did a lot of self-reflection and figuring out, okay, well, how did this whole thing actually start? And I actually had uh, a few childhood businesses. And one of the ones, um, I mentioned in the book is my brother Chandler and I, uh, growing up, uh, we lived on a golf course and we used to go into the ravines and down in the valleys and harvest miss shot golf balls. So all the golf balls that didn't clear the valley and we would collect them and then we would sell them back to the golfers. And and then I realized, okay, well, we got golf balls, but what else do golfers want? And I I remember thinking, oh, well, you know, sometimes my dad likes to have a beer when he's golfing. So then we, we basically stole my dad's beer and resold that to the golfers too. And uh, we sold it for a dollar, a can and you know, of course, my dad it didn't take long for him to find out what we were up to. And I think he was like mad, but impressed right? Know, that, <laughs> that his children were stealing alcohol and selling it. Like, I'm sure, you know, there's a bit of a, a moral issue with that. But I think he just was like, whoa, these kids are hustlers. And uh, then my first real business was actually started when I was a university student at the U of A, the University of Alberta in Edmonton. And uh, I was I was in the business program. And for one of my marketing classes, I had to come up with um, a hypothetical company, and I had this idea for booty belts, and booty belts were these scarf belts that I would attach little buckles to, and uh, my logo was the bees back-to-back, so it created a little butterfly. Um, So I wrote this business plan for, for booty belts, and then I just thought, oh, maybe I could actually do that. And uh, didn't know a lot about sewing or fashion or really anything related to how to make a product and sell it into the market. But, um, you know, just set up shop in my parents' basement and started sewing these, these booty belts and, uh, yeah, selling them to different stores in Edmonton. Then I would take little business trips to Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. And before long, I was selling my booty belts into stores across the country. And, you know, I was in my early 20s, didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I I loved the ability to to run this business. And so it was probably about a year and a half in, um, I signed up for the largest apparel show in the world, which is the magic show in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, long story short, ended up uh, dragging my brother Chandler along with me and um, I made him wear a booty belt t-shirt and it was booty belts with the logo. And then on the back, it said, shake it up. And then he worked for one day and he was like, I will help you, but I am not wearing this t-shirt. <laughs> and, and then that, uh, you know, it was a challenging show to do because it was a really big financial investment. Didn't really know what we were doing, common theme. And, uh, you know, sure enough, at the end of the show, we got an order from a Japanese department store. So that was an order for booty belts for 60 locations. Um, so that, that was definitely a turning point in, in my booty belt career. And uh, then, you know, after a little bit, the the trends, the fashion trends started to evolve and change, and it was harder and harder for me to get them in stores. Um, So a friend of mine asked, like, hey, do you want to sell these things at the street festival in Edmonton? And I thought, you know, selling on the street. I don't know if that's so good for my brand, but I thought, what the heck? Uh, So I started selling booty belts at the street festival and just really fell in love with the experience. So I started to then travel around the country doing music festivals, craft fairs, any show I could really get into. And this would have been like 2006, 2005, 2006. So back then, like social media was all very new. Um, Etsy.com was brand new, too. Uh, And there, there weren't the cool craft fairs that there are now, that's for sure. Because, you know, now all over the country, all over the world, there's these awesome, awesome craft fairs. But back then, there really wasn't. Um, so the first show we did, I just kind of thought, well, how hard is it? Like, you you know, you rent the venue, you promote the craft out of it, you, you know, sell the booth space. Um, so I kind of put it all together in my head. And uh, that's how I got into starting to produce the craft fairs. So that would have been just, yeah, over 10 years ago. And then it didn't take long before my brother Chandler kind of being dragged along through some of these business adventures with me. Like one day he just thought, you know, there's nothing for guys at your shows because him and his friends would work the front door, you know, because they could, they could meet some girls that way, drink beer and kind of hang out. Um, and and he's like, there's nothing for guys at your show, but there's all these guys that end up coming. So he launched a t-shirt company called Oli Originals. And it didn't take him long to to say like, hey sis, like this is this is growing pretty fast. Like, why don't we partner together? And that's the start of make it.
0: Cool. And was it was it always called make it? Or was it that point where you guys came together that you launched like a, a new brand for the craft? That's that's
1: exactly true. Because the first uh, the first craft fairs I started producing was with a friend of mine um, named Ali Ng. And Ellie and I, our brand was called Stop and Shop. And so we started that together. And then that lasted for about a year and a half. And then, uh, you know, we just made the decision. Like, it just wasn't working as well together. Like, we weren't working as well together. So we, um, and I had moved to Vancouver too. So we decided to part ways. And uh, that's when I got into business with my brother.
0: Okay, that's awesome. and tell us like the evolution of Make It because you obviously started off way smaller and in one city so what was it like from that point to where it is today?
1: Yeah, the first shows we we started doing they had about 25 artists and they were all people we knew in the community uh, because by having my own booth at all these different shows I got to really get to network with some of these, these fellow makers and, you know, I, we kind of had the same... Ideals of what we wanted in a craft fair. Like, we wanted one where people would actually kind of care about us and, uh, you know, treat us a little bit differently. Cause I felt like a lot of the shows I was doing, you're basically a number, you pay the money and then you just set up. And I was always interested in growing this community. Uh, so the first shows were really small. Everyone knew each other quite well. And then it just grew and grew and grew. So uh, it's make its 10th year now. And our shows have anywhere between, um, our caliber show is a little bit smaller, but Vancouver and Edmonton have over 200 makeys. That's what we call the, the people who participate. And yeah, we get thousands and thousands of customers that come each year and support them.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And do you go to each one of them? Like, are you still fully uh, immersed in like each of the shows?
1: Yeah, I go to every single one. And this year, uh, because I launched my book, I actually have a booth. So we we just had our Edmonton show and it was really fun to to have a booth again and, and, and just be able to talk to the customers and just observe things that I normally don't get to see. Because uh, typically at the show, I'm kind of running around like a crazy person doing a million little things but this time I was able to actually observe and connect with the customers. And it was, it was cool because so many of them had been telling us that they'd been coming to the show since the very beginning. So for the past 10 years, they've, they've come to every make it, which,
0: which was great to hear. That is crazy. Well, especially like 10 years is a long time and like great loyalty, you know, it's, it's nice yeah. to like meet those people, especially as like the owner that you've really like made an impact yeah. on how they shop.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, it felt great.
0: And what have you learned along the way about running a business, about yourself, about the craft sale industry in general? Oh,
1: my goodness. Where do I start? Um, so many things. I, I really, I believe that a business grows in proportion to the person running it. So that's one thing that I've learned is it's, it's really about personal growth. Um, and also with failure, like I get asked a lot, like what happens if you fail or if your product's just not gonna work? Cause I, I've had the privilege over the last 10 years plus to work with thousands of artists and makers. Like I've seen it all. And one thing I've identified is a lot of patterns in the behavioral uh, of the, the entrepreneur. And yeah, it really comes down to a belief system of what's possible. Because when you believe you're going to be successful and when you believe you can go to the next level, your brain will start to identify things that it wouldn't, if you're thinking like, oh my God, this is too hard. I can't do this. Like this sucks. Like, because a lot of times it's our ability to get comfortable in the discomfort that really separates the people who go to the next level and the people who just don't. Um, it's, It's not always product. It's not, it's it's always the person behind the business, which has been a very fascinating lesson for me to learn. And I've also learned so much about myself in the process.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Well, especially since you've like now been on both sides of it where you like have sold the products and now you're helping other people sell the products too. I'm sure um, Mm -hmm. you've been able to like make connections for yourself as well through that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what is your favorite thing about running make it?
1: I love being at the show when it's in full swing and it's crazy busy and it feels like a party and people are selling and they're having fun and they're, you know, talking to their neighbors. And that's the part I live for in this whole process because, you know, the details and the stress and like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? There's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges. Um, It's not, it doesn't get easier, which also is kind of funny because you think by now, I'd be a pro at it, but no, there's always something new to learn. And, you know, I I don't really look at it as competition, but how I do see it is you have to really listen to what the market wants and what the market needs next. And I think a lot of businesses um, make mistakes. They get too focused on what the person next to them is doing instead of looking ahead and one of the women I interviewed for the book, her name is Jennifer Wilson. And she she actually had a company, she no longer runs it, called Von Bon. She's based in Vancouver. And she said something that really stuck with me. She said, people can only do what I did. People can never do what I'll do next. And I thought, hmm, that's really interesting and insightful because, you know, I I, I feel like in the craft world, like. <laughs> and, and probably any world but this is the world I know is like you know things get knocked off or people copy and I just sort of think well they copied what I did they're not going to copy what I'll do um which is exciting because you're really only in competition with yourself and your own ability to expand and grow
0: right and I feel like people in like all industries need to keep that in mind especially now with social media and being able to compare your life to every Everybody's life every second of the day uh, you can get caught up in it and really I mean I uh, feel imposter syndrome all the time and I feel like that's kind of what you're saying is that you just mm. you get caught up in that yeah it's
1: it's dangerous it really can it, it takes you off your game um, and really honing in on what your unique skill set and what your unique offering is and a, another huge lesson I've learned is. <laughs> You know, the more you can take off your plate and empower other people, the better. And I know it's scary for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning, because hiring staff or contractors or whoever's going to help you, it's not cheap and it can be stressful to manage people. Um, but at the end of the day, that's the only way you're going to grow. And it's, it's delusional to think you can do everything yourself. You can up to a certain point. And I think it's actually important for entrepreneurs to do this, to, to do all the jobs. So they know what's involved, but then the the faster you can empower other people and hire for the right skill set, um, not just because you think the person's cool and fun to be around, to actually figure out what they're best at and empower them, the faster you'll grow.
0: And at what point did you decide to hire more people uh, within Make It?
1: Um, I would say in the first, after about year four, because it was my brother and I doing everything, and then we got some some contractors to help us um to grow the business. And and I find like the more the more senior people you can hire, like they cost more, but long term it it's kind of, it's it's like anything. And I, I, I don't know if you've heard the expression, um, but cheap is expensive and expensive is cheap. And you can look at that in terms of shoes. You know, you could buy a crappy pair of shoes and they fall apart. And then you buy another crappy pair of shoes and they fall apart. Or you could invest in a really beautiful handcrafted Italian shoe that maybe lasts you the rest of your life. Uh, So it's kind of looking at business in that way too, is, you know, sometimes it's tempting to hire your cousin or have your friends help, and you know that's necessary and nice in the beginning but i think there there comes a point or at least i've experienced this where you you need to get better tools and and sort of look at the people helping you as resources for a lot of growth and also sanity too it's it's really hard doing it all
0: yeah definitely and that kind of leads into my next question is how do you stay organized with running uh biannual shows in three different cities
1: um uh, to tell you the truth, I'm not the most organized person and people sometimes are, are surprised to hear that. What I am really good at, I, I call it the rocks and the sand. Um, I'm good at seeing what the rocks are and what the sand is because the rocks are the things that need to be done next. And then the sand are all the things that it's like, okay, well, if it fits in later, then that's great. Um, but I I mean, I have different tools. Like we, we basically run our business through Google Drive which probably a lot of other businesses do too. And then, you know, we have our MailChimp and we have all our our tools um, that we use to structure it. But I I like to write things down. Um, I I love the feeling of crossing stuff off. It's very satisfying. Uh, But I would say, if I could give any advice to an entrepreneur starting out, it's think about your business as rocks and sand and get the most important things. And those are the things that are actually going to make you money and have an ROI associated with them because there's just so much sand and I'm sure you know Rachel like with social media like you can be there's so much that can be done but is that is that actually making you money and really what is your bottom line um the clarity around the numbers I I would say that's a super important thing because when you can get clear about that then identifying what to do next and then what to do next gets a bit more obvious and a bit more clear
0: right and I think like you said like writing it down, uh, being able to see it in like the bigger picture, like really knowing what your, your big pieces are, because yeah, social media, all the details that go into that and how much time is wasted really when you start doing things like that. And if you're not hiring somebody else to do it, you can really lose a lot of valuable time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because your limited resources when you're an entrepreneur are your time, your energy and money. And so it becomes a bit of a balancing act as you get bigger and as your idea starts to get more and more momentum. Okay, like, you know, you have to look at them really as finite resources and how you're balancing them and what you're putting your energy towards. Because for for Make It, for example, like we have our show coming up in Calgary, really excited about at Deerfoot City, um, December 6th to the 9th. And like, it's limitless what I could do to prepare for this thing new venue it's a little bit stressful because it's like okay is it gonna work um so i could i could be just you know killing myself working but there's also this point and i talk about this in the book where you need to trust and surrender that it's enough and there's there's something bigger at play i believe in business like you can work yourself to the ground um but there's this grace and there's this energy that is really supportive when you allow it to, to come in and to be open to it.
0: I think that's amazing advice, like not to get caught up in the small details. Um, and when did you decide to help other makees grow their business? Um, I was kind of looking through your blog and obviously the book, um, when did you decide to do that? Uh, yeah, the blog
1: is something that I've definitely, that's, that's my stand and that's kind of been on my back burner, but I've had the desire to help people right from the get-go. Like even when I was starting out when make it was really, really small. Um, uh, I was, I was still, so no, I, I, I was living in Vancouver, but my dad worked in commercial real estate in Edmonton. So sometimes I'd come home for the weekends and I would get my dad to to rent out his boardroom so I could host artists and like teach them about business, you know, because I I have the advantage that I went to business school. Not to say business school is a be all end all because it's not. It doesn't really teach you like real world. <laughs> like it teaches you the practical side, but it doesn't really teach you what it's like when it actually happens. Uh but yeah, I used to have these little seminars and I think I've just always understood business. Uh, And then I got into this handmade world, sort of, it was a happy accident. I didn't really think growing up I would, (laughs) this is what I'd be doing. Definitely not. Uh, But it, it makes sense. And, you know, the reason I like to help people is because I know how awesome it feels when you're able to make money doing what you love and doing what you're passionate about. I know for some people, they see it as idealistic, but I feel that you know, the millennial generation is very open to this idea of having a good lifestyle and having a good experience. It's not about just making as much money as possible. Um, So I'm very curious and very, um, I'm very intrigued by this idea of like conscious entrepreneurship. And actually in Vancouver, I have an event space um, in Gastown called Conscious Lab. And it's this beautiful, historic uh, building. And it's a space where we have workshops and and we've had some seminars and events that are all around how to sort of bridge the gap between entrepreneurship and spirituality.
0: That's super cool. I feel like that's not something that everyone's really doing. I've never heard that before, usually people are just like, yeah, we have a co-working space. Come work (laughs) together and we'll all together (laughs) but you know it's kind
1: of the same idea because there is a special energy that happens when people like-minded people get together which I'm like which is definitely felt in co-working spaces
0: I know that's awesome and uh it is good I think that's another side of like entrepreneurship is just having the community there because it can be like you're by yourself you're like am I doing this right everyone's doing it better so to have a space Mm -hmm. to come together to to reconnect I think is awesome. Thank you, thank you. I know
1: it it becomes, you have to preserve your sanity. And and what happens a lot of times uh, is someone starts a business and, and in the beginning, everyone's like cheering you on. It's like, oh yay, that's so awesome that you're doing this. And then there's like this middle part. It's like the sticky middle where there's nothing really glamorous happening. So it's not like you're posting on social media because like not, you're you're just in it and you're working towards something. And in that time, like that's when the challenges come up and it can be very isolating to be an entrepreneur. Um, So I I would say as much as you can foster community around you to help you out, like for one thing, it's just more fun. And I I really believe the more fun we have, the better we do in business. And that's why a huge part of Make It has always been this fun community element Uh, because there's, you know, it's easy to get stressed out because there's always a million things that are probably gonna go wrong. Um, but if you if you can slightly get ahead of that feeling and say like this is pretty damn cool like how many people have these corporate jobs or these you know soul sucking jobs that they hate and they just want out like we're on the other side of things we're the lucky ones to be able to do this so let let's have a little bit of fun and celebrate that
0: right definitely and and then just not like you just don't need to take it so seriously because I feel like people do that as well where they're like oh well I'm an entrepreneur I need to like have the in the hole and i can't look up for my paper and you know and it's it's like well like you do get to have flexibility you have made the choice so yeah like you said like celebrate that and um obviously work hard but at the same time like you don't need to to kill yourself because now you're your own boss absolutely yeah absolutely and uh what tips would you give those makeys as well as anyone else listening who wants to grow their passion into a business
1: uh, I mean there's there's so many things, but if I if I can kind of take it down to the fundamentals, do something that actually gets you excited and not something that maybe just makes sense financially, although that is important. But there is a certain um there's a certain momentum and energy that happens when you are truly excited about what you're doing. And that's the only explanation I seriously have for why booty belts turn into a thing. Uh because you know, the product itself, it was kind of cool. Like it had fun branding, but I believe so strongly. And I, I, I love Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx and how she got started. Like she was just relentless. Like she was like calling up the buyer from Neiman Marcus and demanding they see her and like, you know, standing in the store, demonstrating her Spanx. Like she was so passionate about her idea. And that's why I think now she's a billionaire because she just, she just had that commitment and like i said before when you're so committed to an idea and you see it so clearly and you have that attachment to it you know obstacles barriers you know things that you would have never imagined they'll come in your way but you won't see them as barriers and obstacles you'll just say okay well how do i deal with that how do i deal with that so you actually um you have a different connection to the things that happen to you when you do fully fully believe in your idea and, you know, you are in your idea, you're believing in yourself. And it, it might sound a bit cliche, but I, I think the self-confidence, you I don't know if you can be a, a really successful entrepreneur if you don't have that confidence thing um, figured out. But the thing, like, I don't think there's anyone who's 100% confident, confident all the time. And then, of course, there, there's the risk of arrogance. Uh, but I, I think it's just being a good human and surrounding yourself with other good humans Will keep you in check and also just make the whole process way better.
0: I agree completely. And I think that's for people who want to start their own business, but also who are just in a job or in life. (laughs) Be a good human. Totally. Be a good human.
1: Yeah, and, and just be nice and establishing strong relationships with the people around you. Because you know, when when people When people believe in what you're doing, it's amazing what they'll do to help you. Uh, So in my book, I talk about like being helpable. And I think there's a skill to that um, because it's one thing to ask for advice and be like, oh my God, I need help. But unless you make it easy for someone to help you, you're not going to receive, you're not going to receive it in a way that's actually beneficial. Um, So yeah, I, I think that just comes from practices like being Showing gratitude um, and just having—I can't stress enough. I'm probably because I'm talking to myself as I say this out loud—the the importance of just remaining positive and believing it's going to work out. Because when you believe things will work out, it's amazing how they just started aligning almost magically.
0: Right. I think a lot of right now, especially, it's kind of trendy is to like manifest. So I feel like that's what you're saying is to really just wish for something to happen and then. If you're working for it, it'll eventually get there.
1: And sometimes in unexpected ways, but <laughs> you just have to be open to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that just tests your, your patience and your trust in things. Oh yeah, big time. Um, and so let's, you've mentioned your book, so let's dive into that. So it's called Make It Happen. Uh, what do you cover in the book? Is it really just how you started Make It or is it advice? What kind of book is it? Uh, it's, actually, <laughs> it's
1: actually it's actually what you said. It's it's a book about uh, the the first little bits about my own story because I just thought it's it's good for readers to know that I've actually gone through this. Like I'm not just making this up as I go along. Like I've actually lived it. So it's part my story. Um, I did seven interviews with with successful makeys um, and and so their story and their tips. It's also part workbook. So I have exercises at the end of each chapter that are called Make It Real. So it allows you to actually put what you're learning into practice. And uh, yeah, the book is meant to be a guidebook for creative entrepreneurs on how to turn their ideas into reality. And it focuses, I would say, more on the softer side of things, because I just feel like there's so many business books out there that tell you how to do your numbers and tell you how to do this. But I didn't really identify one that was more just about the mindset. Um, and also one that was more geared towards what I call creative entrepreneurship. And, you know, you could argue all entrepreneurship is creative. But when I say that, I mean, you know, I, I mean the 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 artists and makers that do our show, but also like someone like yourself, Rachel, like I would say what you're doing is very highly creative. And uh, it, it's, you know, a, a typical business book might help you to a certain point. But again, until you really nail down that belief system, um, It can be very, very challenging to break certain patterns.
0: That's awesome. Well, and if you are more creative, like you said, I feel like lots of business books are geared towards very, like, strict business. Like, tech startup always, like, comes to my brain when I think of an entrepreneur for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we need other resources. (laughs)
1: Totally. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit like you you have the feminine energy and the masculine energy. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into like gender and all that. I don't think it actually has anything to do with gender. I think there's just some energy that's more nurturing, more, you know, more feminine. And then the masculine side is the more like rigid, like, you know, pragmatic, like problem solving, like get it done. And like, and, and then the more feminine side is like believing it will happen. And like just being really open and, And that's when, um, the people to people skills become really important. And I do think it's a balance, like so many things of both sides. You can't be, if you're totally into your, your feminine energy and you're not looking at your numbers, well, you're not going to be successful for very long. Um, but if you're just focused on, you know, grinding stuff out and being the most productive you can, I think eventually you also hit, hit a limit. So it's, it's different for everyone. I think it's finding kind of your own personal sweet spot. And then from there, being able to, you know, design a business and design a life that allows you to to live in the most optimal way.
0: I, I love that. And I, I think any book, like the more books you read and the more like different perspectives that you get help you, you can take kind of what you want from each type of book. And so there's Absolutely. space for, for all of them, but it is, it's good to just have another like, like you said, feminine energy, a creative perspective to add to our repertoire of business. Yes. Yeah.
1: absolutely. And what's exciting, and okay. I feel like this way of thinking is becoming more and more mainstream. So it's not so it's just like craft fairs became more and more mainstream. Um, so now people, even big businesses, just the way the language is shifting, like people are really open to this concept, which is, which is amazing to see.
0: Yeah, one I think is more people start their own business. And because uh, being an entrepreneur, I guess is trendy right now, but also people are realizing that they can design their own life. And so more and more people are now open to it and understanding what other people are doing when they're starting their own business. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah, it's exciting to see. It is. And what was the experience of writing a book like for you? Because this is your first book, I'm guessing, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because um, it's something I wanted to do for a while because there's just so many great stories in the community. And I I felt that I also had a unique story because of how I started and how the whole thing kind of grew. Uh, And and the writing part was pretty enjoyable. Like I had the, the privilege to be able to go to Bali for a while and just, you know, really tap in. Um, and have, you know, like my biggest concern each day was what time I was going to go to yoga and like, you know, what, what kind of massage I was going to get because Bali really sets you up for like massages cost maybe $10 and, and it's just a really beautiful place to go to do a creative project. So I would highly recommend it if you can go there or somewhere kind of like that, um, So writing itself was really, really nice and quite a pleasurable experience. What the hard part was, was the editing and uh, figuring out, because my book at one point, the manuscript was sitting at about 100,000 words, which is a lot of content, too much content. Mm -hmm. So with the the help of an amazing editor, we got it down to about 55,000. But there's a lot of trust um, and a lot of surrender in like, okay, did they get the right half or the wrong half? <laughs> like, was was anything good cut out that, you know, maybe shouldn't be? Or, you know, do, should I trust this editor? Like, I don't know. So it really, that that was a hard part, to be honest, because, you know, like any sort of artist or creative person, you know, you, you work on something for a while, but I don't know anything about writing a book because it's my first time um so i had to put a lot of faith actually into the process and i kept on telling myself like trust the process trust the process uh because yeah it, it was it was challenging you know when you get back these edits and there's red marks all over the thing you've been working your ass off uh for and and you're like oh my god it sucks i suck like what the heck and i had to get i had to work really hard not to get into my ego and be like oh well what do these editors know like um <laughs> but but with that said i i fought for some of my ideas. Um, and at one point there was an editor put on my book that had very different ideas than I had. And I, you know, was really honest with the agency I was working with. I'm like, I don't like this editor. Like we have to get somebody, we have to get somebody new because I don't believe we believed in different things. And that is, um, that's also a really good lesson for entrepreneurs because, you know, when you're kind of in the throes of it all and you want to bring in help, like a consultant or someone from the outside to help you, you have to really trust yourself because it can be, it can be easy, especially if you're paying someone a lot of money to be like, okay, well, you just take the reins. Like you take this weight of this business off of me. Um, but you have to be very, very careful that you make sure that they're being transparent with you with what they're actually doing to your business. so that. That's a lesson I learned with the book process is like, yeah, I, maybe I don't know much about publishing books, but I do know my story and I know what my audience wants and um, so certain things I fought really hard for, and I, I wouldn't take no for an answer, and then certain things it's like, okay, if you really don't think that works, then let's get it out of there. but uh, yeah, so the whole thing said and done took me probably a bit over two years, like book book publishing, book all this stuff it, it's not a it's not a fast process.
0: Wow. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I wouldn't have guessed it would take that long. So that's really interesting uh, that it did, especially, I mean, it's good that you're writing about your own story and everything, but I'm sure you had some point you were like, let's just get it out. Like, let's just get it out. All this information. Yeah.
1: And that's what it came down to, because this is our 10th year. So I thought this book has to come out for the 10th year. Like I just had that in my head as my goal And I think it's really important for anyone who maybe wants to write a book to set that for yourself. Because honestly, like it got to the point where I would read it. I have, I still don't know. I'm like, is this thing even good? Does it make sense? Like now I'm getting some really positive feedback. So I'm like, okay, thank God. But it's probably like a musician too. Like I can't imagine the process. Like if you and I could only sing Rachel and we could like record a song, like how would we know if the song is good? Like you just kind of decide for yourself if it's good.
0: Right, well, I think the more you read it or the more if you could sing the more you listen to it it would sound worse and worse as you kept listening to it <laughs> oh my god I know it
1: sounds awful uh, but also what happens in the book writing process is you start to learn and you start to grow as a person and so some of the things because it was such a long expansive process like some of the stuff I would read that I wrote in the beginning I'm like oh I don't even think that anymore like you know but it's like okay this is this is my first book and then what my editor told me, she was like, all these new ideas you're having that you want to jam in there, like save that for the second book. I was
0: like, okay, all right. I'm going to put these so aside just, for
1: now. <laughs>
0: right. so you're just going to never end the writing process. You'll just keep publishing books as you go, but just keep writing forever.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I like the form because I feel that with, with books, like it really summarizes what you're all about. And just from a business uh, standpoint, it's really good vertical marketing because, you know, I have the show that we promote, but now this book gives me a whole other angle. And um, I, I, I'm working with a really good PR team. And so I was in Toronto recently doing a little press tour there. And I'm like, well, I would never get on TV in Toronto because we don't even have a show there. But the book has allowed more interest in, you know, the, the make it brand and, you know, what what I've been doing for the last
0: decade. Right. And would you say that's why you decided to write a book rather than just put that content onto your blog?
1: Well, to be honest, the book started out just as a personal kind of thing. I thought it's kind of like my personal marathon because I'm not always the best at sticking to things. Um, I mean, make it a brilliant business model for me because there's such built in accountability. It's not like I can just decide, you know, I don't really feel like going to Calgary this week. Let's just cancel the show. Like, whatever. Like, I'm not really feeling it. I cannot do that. Like, I have no choice. Like, but there's such strong accountability. Um, and so I had all these projects I wanted to do, and I kept on thinking, okay, well, next year, next year, and I put them off. And then I thought, God damn it, I'm going to write a book, and I'm actually going to do it. Um, so my stakes were pretty low in the beginning. I thought I was just going to do this. I don't know what's going to happen with it. Like, I'll just see. I'll just write it to write a book and say like I did that. So I thought maybe I would self-publish or put it on my like an ebook. But then what, what kind of conspired is I kept on getting more interest. And then the agency I'm looking or I'm working with, they were able to get it into stores. And so there was distribution. And, you know, now with the, the PR, I've been getting so much press. It's kind of crazy. So the book's kind of taken on a life of its own. And I think that's interesting for a lot of entrepreneurs, because so often you start these businesses or you have these ideas and they're meant to be just small little Inclines of ideas and all the makees I interviewed for this book had a same thing. It's not like they started out like, I'm going to build this massive business. Like they just were, were trying stuff out and just seeing what would happen. And then, you know, more people like it and then more people like it. And then this person calls and then this thing happens. And before you know it, you've become a pretty big company. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important to just be really open to where the journey might take you.
0: Right, yeah, and don't get like we all set goals and we all have like our ideal end point, but to just let it like go with the flow, especially if it does take longer or it's a couple years and technology changes and people's interests change and like, you know, so I think that's important as well. Mhm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um and where can people find the book to buy?
1: Um on Amazon, it's available, so amazon.ca and .com. And, uh, it's also available at Chapters and Indigo and I'll be selling it at make it Calgary and make it Vancouver as well.
0: Cool. Um, and what keeps you motivated year after year to keep running, make it so it's been 10 years. So how do you keep yourself excited about it?
1: Well, when you have a bunch of people counting on you to put on this, this thing, you kind of have to keep going at it. Uh, but I would say it's, 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 it's the need to get better and, the need to just, okay, well this happened this year, but how can we, how can we do it better? And, you know, it's that progress that really motivates me. And also like just, you know, there's certain challenges like right now in Alberta, the economy is a heck of a lot different than it was a few years ago. And that sets a certain challenge, but it's like, okay, well, how how can we think a little bit differently? And that was one of the, the motivations um, to move to Deerfoot City when they asked us, because I thought, okay, well, let's give customers free parking because paying $15 to park kind of sucks. And when, when economic times are a little bit more challenging, it's like every dollar counts. So I thought to have free parking for the customers um, would be a really awesome bonus. So yeah, it's it's just kind of looking at life and then just being responsive to it.
0: Yeah. Well, we all appreciate the free parking and then that $15 <laughs> go towards buying something from the people in this show, as opposed to the city taking all of our parking money.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly, exactly. And we even lowered admission. so normally it's $8 to come to make it. Uh, but now it, it'll, it'll be five and we also have $2 off coupons on our website. So then it's only $3. So I sort of feel like $3 free parking is kind of a no brainer and it's just a perfect place for people to to pick up amazing handmade gifts that they might not find anywhere else and yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm really excited
0: yeah I'm pumped to check it out again um and so you're obviously busy and we talked about you could keep keeping busy forever um but how do you take time for yourself and recharge uh between shows well
1: to, to, to to be totally honest like this last little bit has been pretty intense because there's just extra stuff that comes from promoting the book and, and, uh, but you know, how, how I see it, like after the the show's done in Vancouver on December 12th or December 16th, it's the 12th to the 16th. So on December 17th, I am going to do nothing. Well, obviously there'll be a few minor things from, from the show, but, uh, I'm going to take it so easy and I'm just going to allow my body and my mind and my spirit to totally recharge And uh, I've always been a big traveler. And part of the reason I've felt the need to travel is when I go to places like Bali or Hawaii, or it was in India a few years ago, like places where you can totally kind of decompress and just chill out are so needed when you are an entrepreneur. And what I find when I travel is I meet so many other entrepreneurs and they say the same thing. So, you know, right now life's intense, um, but, you know, I have an amazing boyfriend, a really great family that I've been staying with while I'm in Edmonton, um, really good friends. So it's 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 reaching out when things get intense and they get hard. And also just, you know, sometimes I just watch dumb movies at the end of the night, like movies normally that would insult my intelligence. I just watch them because it allows me to zone out a little bit. And, uh, you know, when you're using your brain and you're thinking about a million ideas, it's really exhausting. So also taking long baths are really important because, you know, don't bring your phone into the the bathroom, just allow yourself to be in the water and just try and, and be present again has been really, really helpful.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's awesome. And, and it is, I think it is putting away the phone. Like you just said, I think that's probably the, the number one thing because even um, people watching TV or something, usually they're scrolling through your phone at the same time. And if like that's not overstimulating trying to watch tv and on your phone at the same time I don't know what is so I think yeah. just like doing something where you can't have your phone I actually we uh my boyfriend and I were living at my parents house for a year while we were moving and they have a hot tub and that was my favorite thing at night was nice. to just like nice. no one has a phone we just go sit in the hot tub either yeah. we don't talk yeah. or you do talk or whatever but it is like just getting away from everybody is really nice
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so key to set those boundaries to to just like say, okay, I am not working. And a, a mentor of mine, um, he said recently, he's like, have a start time and an end time, like, and, and really, um, set that as a hard boundary because, you know, especially with like Instagram, it's so tempting to, to check it before you go to sleep, but the amount of stimulation that comes and then this thing happens and this, you get pulled and it sucks so much time. And then sometimes it can be very hard to sleep when you're that stimulated.
0: Oh, definitely. Well, we all know we do it. We're all aware of that. So we just have to make the choice to not put ourselves through that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's where like the mindfulness comes in. It's like, okay, well, maybe ask yourself, why am I checking it? And, And don't be hard on yourself. I think it's just like asking kind of those gentle questions. Like, what is... does my business need this right now? Um, And one thing I discovered, can I say a swear word?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay. Because, you know, for so long, I felt like I was my business's bitch, you know, like I worked for my business and I, you know, was, I was like, my life revolved around my business. And it still feels like that a little bit now, but it's show, show season. So it's a little bit different. But you know, then I decided I'm like, no, I have to make my business my bitch and not have it control me. And so if you can kind of think in terms of that, like, no, I'm in charge here, not the business, because it's easy to get lost in that um and just feel like, okay, I basically worked myself into another job. Um, right. So it's it's taking that power back and it's scary, like that empowerment, like, okay, instead of writing this email, I'm gonna get somebody else to do it. And I'm going to just relax like that. That's, that's what really being a boss is. And
0: it's not always easy. No, it's not. And you're never really used to it because you're just used to doing everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you just have to be able to make that, that next step. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And what is a a book or resource or a podcast that you would recommend to listeners? One of my favorite
1: Uh, ones now (laughs) <laughs> is uh, called called uh, how I built this, and it's on NPR. And the host, he's great. His name's Guy Raz, and he interviews like the founder. He's interviewed the founders of Instagram and Airbnb and Sarah Blakely from Spanx, who I referred to earlier. And it's it's really interesting because the interviews are probably probably similar to yours, like around forty five minutes, and you start to see the patterns of like no matter who he talks to. It's a very similar story arc. And then you realize like, whoa, that's kind of like me. And, you know, with sort of the collective consciousness of how things work, you start to see like, okay, you start out, good things happen, good things happen. Okay. And then a real challenging thing happens. You figure out how to go get through it and then you're good for a while. And then another challenging thing happens and you work your way through it. And that's just the cycle of business. And I talk about it in my book as like a spiral staircase, how you go around and around But, you know, you're you're making progression high, like you're getting higher and higher, but you're still, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm back at the beginning again, and it's super disheartening. I'm like, oh, my God, did I not learn anything? But, you know, (laughs) I did. I'm higher up on the staircase. But sometimes, like when I launched Conscious Lab in Vancouver, it was hard. And I thought, oh, my God, like, this is really hard. Like, why is it so hard? Don't I have all this experience? Um, but then I gave myself a gentle reminder that even Oprah, like starting OWN magazine and her her or Oprah magazine and the OWN network, like she had a lot of challenges. So even if Oprah even has challenges, like come on, like we it's just built into the system. I think
0: exactly. I completely agree. <laughs> and <laughs> what is next for you and for Make It? Um, obviously, you're going to keep going. But is there anything exciting in the future?
1: Well, I think there's probably um, lots of exciting things. Um, I, I want to expand to more cities across the country and also get um, back into starting to to teach the Makeys again. So to relaunch my online program, it was called Make It University. So, but it's still on there. Don't look at it because it looks really bad. And uh, I don't even look at the same. I have like short hair, uh, but I, I really want to relaunch Make It University and also get more into content creation like create more videos and, and be able to really help people be able to do this because, you know, it's one thing to, to have the show and show examples, um, but I want to become like a resource for anyone who has a creative idea to in fact have the ability to make it happen.
0: I love that. I think that's such a good idea and everybody's learning everything on the internet. So that's Absolutely. a perfect resource for everybody. Um, and where can people find you?
1: Uh Well, my own oh, my Instagram own. is Jenna Herbert So J-E-N-N-A-H-E-R-B-U-T, Herbutt. And also <laughs> uh, Make It Show. So yeah, my website's jennaherbutt.com and my website's makeitshow.ca.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and sitting down to chat about it. It was awesome.
1: Oh, thanks, Rachel. You asked such good questions. Like I feel like you and I could talked for a very long time because there's just so much stuff around the creative entrepreneurship story so it's really I agree you asked me to be on your show
0: yeah I'll have to have you back for a second episode because that's what I was thinking I was like oh I was like we're gonna have to end this soon I was like but we could probably go for another like hour so
1: we, we can have like a post show oh, I'm, not sure. I'm not you know like stressed out and uh, I'll be a lot more chill so I, I would be more than happy
0: to come back on awesome well thank you so much Thanks, Rachel.